Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton, and I'm really excited about this episode. I love the science stuff, and I especially love talking about science in an area where I get a lot of questions, where I know there is a lot of confusion. And for today, that is the topic of carbohydrates. They are widely misunderstood. And I've even put together a comprehensive e-course on carb strategies for fat loss. I'll link it up in the show notes um, because there are so many misunderstandings about artificial sweeteners and fruit and beans and whole food sources of carbohydrates versus processed foods and the timing of carbs and why people have different tolerance levels to carbohydrates and what you can do to improve your carbohydrate tolerance. Talked about all that stuff. Want to really break it down because I continue to get a lot of questions about this. So hopefully we can keep working, chipping away at it and increasing our level of understanding. The reality is, guys, even if we've heard something multiple times, it usually takes multiple times for it to kind of sink in. And oftentimes it's hearing it said in a slightly different way or at a slightly different time when maybe you're a little bit more receptive or you're paying more close attention that really allows you to go, oh, now I get it. So hopefully we can create some of those moments for you today. No doubt carbs are a fast acting fuel source for your body. They are broken down more quickly, much more quickly than fats or proteins, which is why we experience that energy burst after consuming carbs in pretty much any form. It's also, however, why we experience more hunger and cravings when we consume carbs and sugar than we do when we consume fat and protein. It's why we don't feel as sated, as satiated, as full when we consume carbs as we do when we consume fat and protein. Now, just to be on the same page, when we talk about carbs, we are talking about the things that most people think of, like bread, pasta, rice, cereal, cookies, cakes, but also fruit, also potatoes, sweet potatoes, plantains, the whole spectrum of carbohydrate. And it's important to understand They do not all act the same way in the body. Even when we're talking about sugar, not all sugar acts the same way in the body. But more broadly than that, we cannot just say that pasta is the same as rice, is the same as potato, is the same as a Hershey bar, because it's not. The other thing to keep in mind is that starch, is a long chain of sugar. Here's where people get into a lot of trouble. They'll look at the label on a box of pasta 
and they'll see carbohydrate, you know, 30, 40 grams, whatever it says. And below that, they'll say sugar, zero. Yeah, well, here's the thing to keep in mind. The starch in that pasta, which is on the label as carbohydrate, is a long chain of sugar. And metabolically, your body cannot use it until it breaks it down to its smallest part, which is sugar. So people will look at the pasta and say, oh, no sugar. That's not true. It's not real. And just because you see it on the label does not make it so. It might not be fair, but it's true. Starch is a long chain of sugar. Now, fiber is a little bit different. Fiber does not metabolize to sugar, but complex sugars, complex starches, simple sugars, simple starches, the building blocks are the same. Sugar. And in order to be used by the body, they must be broken down to the simplest parts, which is sugar. Even within that sugar, we have to acknowledge that there are many different types of sugar and they act very differently within the body. I want to talk about that a little bit more for a minute because I think it's really important. We tend to think sugar is sugar is sugar, not so much. Now, very recently in episode 329, I talked about why we don't need to and probably shouldn't count calories. And in that episode, I talk about how the same number of calories from the same macronutrient, so the same number of carbohydrates or the same number of calories from carbohydrates, depending on the carb source, even though they're both carbohydrates, can act very differently in the body. So if we look at 200 calories from glucose, sugar, a carbohydrate, that has a very different path in the body than 200 calories of sugar in the form of fructose. But we have this tendency to act like calories are calories and carbs are carbs. No, let's end that here. That is not the case, okay? There are huge differences in the likelihood that they will be stored as fat, the likelihood that they will be burned as fuel. Let's take a closer look. So glucose is probably the most common form of sugar, and glucose can be used by every cell in the body to give it energy, right? Fructose, increasingly common and in basically every processed food, plus sodas and sugary drinks, fructose can only be used by the liver. And then there's galactose, which is significantly less sweet, but is, is used in a wider variety or, or in more ways than just by the liver. So sucrose is a combination of fructose and glucose. When you consume something that has sucrose, in order for the body to use it, it gets broken down to its simplest parts, part glucose, part fructose. The glucose gets used in the way glucose does. The fructose gets sent straight to the liver. There's an important point here that I want to make about fructose. Fructose is the primary form of sugar in fruit. So if we think back to prior to the advent of processed foods, prior to cookies, chips, snacks, sugary drinks, let's go all the way back to our Paleolithic hunter-gatherer ancestors because you guys know that I like to think of things on a real common sense level. So fructose, the primary sugar in fruit, had a very important survival role for our Paleolithic ancestors. Winters, when you were a hunter-gatherer, winter was a time of relative famine. There wasn't a lot of food available. Basically, whatever you could hunt, 
but there wasn't fruit on the trees or berries in the bushes. You were hunting for your food, and that was pretty much it. There wasn't much gather in the winter when we're thinking about hunt and gather. But when spring and summer would come, this was the time of feast. It was a time of abundance. Now, remember, this is before farming and certainly before processed foods. There would suddenly be an abundance of stuff to gather. And at this time, it was wild berries and bushes, fruit from fruit trees. With the winter being a time of relative famine, where if you didn't have stored body fat, you're probably going to die. This abundance in the spring and summer was really needed for for survival in the winter. They had to capitalize on this period of abundance where they could gather. And so biologically, they needed a way to be able to eat a lot without getting very hungry so that they wouldn't get to the point of, of satisfaction where if you sat down with a buffalo, you'd get to that pretty quickly. But with berries or apples, you wouldn't necessarily. So they needed to be able to eat and not trigger satiety. And they also needed to pack away body fat effectively and efficiently and quickly so that they could take advantage of this feast time to get them through the famine time. Enter fructose. That's what this powerful sugar in fruit was great for at that time because fructose, because of its metabolic pathway, only being shunted directly to the liver and bypassing the traditional metabolic channel of, say, glucose, it doesn't trigger satiety and and it can only be used by the liver. Anything not needed by the liver has got to be converted to and stored as fat. So this was really brilliant in the Paleolithic era. It kept them alive. It was how they cycled through these periods of feast and famine, thanks in large part to the abundance of fructose in fruit during the winter and uh, or the spring and summer months. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> we have really messed this up. We've messed this up because we've kind of bastardized fructose. It is far and away the sweetest of all sugars, and it's cheaper than glucose. So nowadays, fructose is in everything. Canned soups, salad dressings, fruit juice, soda, um, Gatorade, processed foods, you name it, it is absolutely everywhere. It doesn't trigger satiety. It can only be metabolized by the liver. It is the most lipogenic carbohydrate. It is the most likely to be converted to and stored as fat compared with all other carbohydrates, right? It can't be used by the brain. It can't be used by your muscles. It can only be used by the liver. Now, your liver has limited storage space, and once that's used up, that's when it gets converted to and stored as body fat. And I want to expand on this topic of the limited storage space because this plays a part when we're talking about other carbohydrates and other forms of sugar. Our bodies have a finite amount of storage for sugar. Remember, when we have carbs in any form, they are broken down to their simplest building blocks in order to be used by the body. The simplest building block is sugar. That's what makes up our carbohydrates. When you eat a meal, right, and your body breaks it down, it doesn't break down the food you eat 
based on the order in which you eat it or the time of day in which you eat it. It breaks down the food you eat, prioritizing it based on what is the easiest to digest. Well, carbs are easier for your body to digest than protein or fat, so that goes first and fastest, okay? Starch, whether we're talking about pasta or rice, remember, that counts because those building blocks of the starch are sugars. So they get broken down to their simplest uh, parts and then they hit your bloodstream. Now, not all of it can be used by all parts of your body, right? The body's going to send the fructose right to the liver. The glucose will be sent wherever your body currently and immediately needs fuel. But the reality is when we eat a meal, most of us are eating more than what our body needs for energy right that second as we sit there fork to mouth. So what happens to the rest? Whether it's from fruit, oatmeal, cereal, potatoes, a handful of pretzels, a candy bar, a soda, your sugar cannot hang out in your bloodstream until it's needed. That is a toxic situation for your body. So the fructose goes straight to the liver. The rest of it has to be removed from the blood, okay? It has a couple of options. The muscle tissue is one short-term storage space. The liver is the other. They are both short-term. Here's the thing about the muscle tissue. Yes, it can take on some of that glucose that is extra, But not only is the storage space limited, here's the other thing that's super important to remember. Your muscle tissue lacks the enzyme that is needed to release that glucose out of the muscle tissue to fuel other parts of your body if it needs it. So you can't get it out once it goes in. It can only be used to power your muscles. So yes, Glucose can be stored as such, as glucose, in this limited storage space in your muscle tissue, but it is an entry-only storage facility. So let's say you skip a meal and or you're fasting and you know, oh, well, I have plenty of glucose reserves in my body to bring up that blood sugar. Well, they're not getting out of the muscles to fuel your brain. It can only be used by the muscle tissue once it is in there because the muscles do not have the enzyme needed to release it out of the cell in the muscle, okay? I want to make sure everybody understands that once it's in there, not only is it short-term storage, so if it's full, it's full. It can't stay there. But once it's in there, it can only be used by your muscles. The more active you are, the more you're going to use this storage space of glucose in the muscle tissue and then have room for more storage the next time you have a meal, the next time you consume carbohydrates. But for those of us that are not active, well, that storage space is basically not an option for you anymore. So keep that in mind. Once the storage space in your muscle and liver tissue are full, that glucose gets converted to and stored as fat. And obviously your body sees that stored fat as sort of a survival mechanism, like backup storage in the in the fuel reserves. So it's very resistant to releasing stored body fat unless it needs to. Now, your body can generate glucose from stored body fat. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. But that only happens when there is a lack of dietary sugar, so starch or sugar intake, um, 
because it's not efficient to burn stored body fat to generate glucose, but it is possible. I want to just pose this question. How many of us never have storage available in the liver and muscle because it's always full. Now, I know you're not going to literally do a liver biopsy or a muscle biopsy to see like, what does my glycogen reserve look like in there? But my point is this. You have a finite amount of storage capacity for glucose in your liver and your muscle. And if you are regularly consuming carbohydrates and or, not just and, but and or, regularly overeating and or not exercising regularly, then that is never even an option. So whatever carbohydrate you consume that isn't immediately right this minute needed to fuel your body as you put that fork to your mouth, it's getting converted to and stored as fat, which your body is resistant to burning, especially resistant to burning in the presence of dietary carbohydrates, right? What that means is you have less license with the food you eat than someone who eats less often or eats fewer carbs or is more active, right? So how do you clear out that storage? This is something, because I'm a science geek, I think that runs through my mind often. Let's say last night, for example, I had sushi. Now, I know the storage reserve in my muscle and my liver isn't, isn't significant. All combined, it's maybe 400 grams plus or minus. So you have a carb-rich meal a day or two, that storage, that storage space is filled up, okay? I mean, it doesn't take but a couple of days of, of a high-carb meal, and, and even for some people in a binge, it's filled up. So my brain works like this. I had sushi for dinner last night, so there was carbs in the rice. And when I was working out today, I'm like, I don't need carbs before my workout. That's the last thing I can do because one of the things I really want to do following a higher carb meal is make sure that I'm using that, that carbohydrate reserve in my muscle tissue so that the next time I consume carbs, it's going to that short-term storage to fuel my muscles, to fuel my workouts instead of the alternative, which is there's no space there, so it is converted to and stored as fat. I don't want that. So your options are don't overeat, right? And that includes don't justify something healthy even when you aren't hungry because the reality is if you're if you're not hungry and your body doesn't need fuel, it has to be stored, right? Another option is dial way back on the processed foods. Follow the golden rules of carbohydrates. Another option is fasting. I uh, shared in the fasting private Facebook group that I have with my girlfriend, Ella, that I'm going to be doing a fast over this weekend. So when this airs for you guys, I will be halfway through my weekend fast. But I'm doing that in part because I like to clear out that short-term storage space every once in a while because otherwise, the way I lived my life most of the time, it was there was never any room there. So when I would consume carbs, whatever my body didn't immediately need for energy was getting converted to and stored as fat. Now, a lot of people will say, well... What happens, you know, the reason that I don't go lower carb is because I know that my body needs glucose. It needs glucose. Yes, your body does need glucose, but glucose can be created from things 
other than carbohydrate. In fact, glucose, and we've talked about this before, glucose can be created from protein. It's a process called gluconeogenesis, but glucose can also be created from fat. So the ideal situation when you're looking to burn fat is, hey, if my body needs glucose to keep my blood sugar steady, what a great option for it to use my stored body fat to do that, right? It's very inefficient though. Get this, it takes two triglycerides, and we talked about this a few months ago on the podcast, that triglyceride is the storage form of fat. It takes two triglycerides to make just one molecule of glucose. So that's great news, right? The body needs glucose and it's not a one-for-one trade, it's a two-for-one trade. Sounds like a heck of a deal for me, right? But it only does that when there is an absence, an absence, that's, is that even, what am I saying? An absence, what am, I can't, <laughs> yeah, an absence, yeah, I think my emphasis is wrong. Holy Toledo, it's later in the day that I normally record these things. I'm like, am I speaking, is this English? Is that the word? There was like a like mini stroke moment there. Anyway, when you have a lack, we'll go with lack. That's easier. I'm like, absinthe? No, that's a liquor. When you have a lack of dietary carbohydrate, that is when your body is open to using body fat, triglycerides, to generate glucose. But you also, there's another condition. Not only do you have to have low dietary carbohydrate intake, you also can't be over-consuming protein because it's a slightly easier process to generate glucose from protein, so it's gonna do that first too. Now, I'm not saying cut out the protein, but many people have a tendency to overeat protein because it's quote-unquote healthy, and that can impair fat burning as well. So your body does need glucose, but that doesn't mean we need carbohydrates, okay? Your body will use glucose from carbohydrates first, but then it's going to look, if it doesn't have that, it's going to say, okay, well, there's some protein here and I can get it from protein. And only then, if it doesn't have that option, will it use your stored body fat to generate glucose, right? Only in the absence of dietary carbs and without an excess of protein, all right? I want to talk for just a quick second about cravings. Because cravings are something that happens when we are not using carbohydrates properly. I'm not suggesting that if you eat carbs, you're going to have cravings, but cravings are a signal from your body. And one of the most common reasons for the signal is that we're not using carbs properly. We're not balancing our blood sugar. And the craving is our body's way of telling us that. The bottom line is this, if you are well-fed and you are being a good steward of your hormones, you will have very few cravings. If you are still experiencing cravings, it just means you have work to do on the quality of the nutritional profile you are giving your body, right? And if you aren't aware, if you aren't paying attention, a lot of people will just eat their way through cravings, eat their way through low energy, eat their way through mood swings, when the reality is it's powerful information that we need to be making better choices. Because when we make choices like the candy bar, like the soda, like the sugary latte, we're making it worse. We're making it worse and we can make it better by choosing protein or fat or fiber, right? When you know better, 
and you're paying attention and you understand the importance of consistency of practice, you can make a choice that resolves the problem permanently instead of giving you a short-term fix and compounding a long-term problem, all right? So you have to be paying attention to what you are experiencing in your body and then use the information that we're talking about today to say, okay, I know that if I go for a carbohydrate choice here, I'm likely to put more sugar into my system than I need. And while I might feel better in the short term, I'm going to feel worse in the long term. Definitely, if you struggle with cravings, search cravings over on primalpotential.com because I talk a lot about how to overcome cravings. And this isn't an episode on cravings, but I just wanted to make the point that when you are well-fed and not overfed, So quality food in appropriate amounts for you, you really won't experience too many cravings. If I had to boil this all down, I would say this. You cannot overconsume carbs and expect to burn fat. You just can't. It doesn't mean that you can't ever eat carbs. I mean, come on, the case I just made is that there's short-term storage in your muscle and your liver to help fuel you, and that's great. That means we can enjoy a reasonable amount of carbs and do well, feel well, and be healthy and lean. The problem comes when we overeat. And when we eat processed carbohydrates, when we overconsume sugar and starch, and we are not active. Carbs aren't the enemy. The way you eat them is. The type of carb you choose or the amount you choose, that's the problem, right? Can you get into trouble eating too much fruit or whole food carbs? Absolutely, especially when the goal is fat loss. But guys, You can get into trouble eating too much avocado or too much chicken. Too much is too much, right? So what does this look like in practice? What does putting this information into practice to maximize fat loss look like? It looks like the golden rules of carbs and fat loss. Like I said at the start, it doesn't have to be complicated. The golden rules of carbs and fat loss I detail in episode 195. I'm going to link that up in the show notes. If you're like, okay, this is great information, but what do I do? Then the next thing you do is listen to episode 195 when you have the time to do so, all right? And if you have questions about things like artificial sweeteners or fruit or how this jives with working out or chewing gum, alcohol, beans, anything like that, I created the Carb Strategies e-course last year to address all of those questions and give a lot of that information as well as tactical strategies. I will link that up in the show notes as well. Or you can just go to primalpotential.com forward slash shop and you will see that there. So I hope you guys found this helpful. If you did, this is one of the last times I'll mention this, go leave a review in iTunes. I hate to ask you guys for anything because I'm really, it's a pleasure to do this for free, but it really does make a difference. 60 seconds of your time to leave a rating and review. If you don't know how, I've linked to a tutorial with pictures over in the show notes. Just scroll all the way to the bottom and you will see a link that says how to leave a rating and review. It means the world to me. It really does. It's a silly little thing that only takes a minute, but it makes a big difference and uh, it is appreciated more than you know. I'll chat with you guys soon. Have a great day. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, 
just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there.